Welcome to Power Your Profits podcast, your friendly guide in bringing your business revenue to the next level. Listen as host Susie Carter hears inspiring stories of success from her fellow entrepreneurs and transformational leaders. Prepare to make significant change to your strategies as they unravel the secrets of building multi-million dollar businesses and the most effective tips on finance, marketing, and sales accountability. If you want to make your first step towards explosive business growth, this is the right podcast for you. Without further ado, here is your host, Susie. Welcome to this episode of Power Your Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Susie Carter, and today's guest, you are going to be so excited, is Adam Markell. And humans are hardwired to resist change and seek certainty, but that leaves us ill-equipped to thrive in this rapidly changing world. Today, Adam Markell is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, workplace expert, and resilience research Adam is the author of the new book, Proof, Leveraging the Power of Uncertainty to Build Long-Term Resilience, coming out in February of 2023. Learn more about Adam Markell at adammarkell.com. Welcome, Adam. I'm so excited that you're here. I appreciate you. This is going to be a delicious talk. Oh my gosh, Adam, I'm so excited. I feel like a kid in a candy store. Because what I love about this podcast is we get to tell the things that nobody will talk about, like the truth versus standing on our stage and teaching from our mountaintop. I want to talk about the myths. I want to stand on the mountaintop. Can we just stand stand on the mountaintop? mountaintop. (laughs) Teaching from the mountaintop. That's a different story, right? So I was reading about that this morning. So, yeah, (laughs) that's interesting. Here we go. And like, let's talk about the reality of speaking. You have an amazing program. First of all, we've known each other for a long time, which I love, 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 love you. Love love your message, everything that you're up to and that you're doing. You're a change agent in the world. And so tell us really who's you. You just gave me the chills. And I'm not kidding, Susie, because we do know each other. I know people sometimes say that on podcasts or whatever, and they know each other for like a hot minute, literally. Now, you and I know each other a minute for real. And that was beautiful. And I appreciate you saying that. So thank You're you. Welcome. Like we've been swimming in the circle. Yeah. So you tend to come back to the ones that are the real deal and swim away from the ones that aren't. So you are the real deal, my friend. And so tell everybody who's your sweet spot. Who do you serve? What's your magic? You got a lot of magic, but what are you Ooh. most excited about? Well, I mean, this is a fun question and I'm going to do my best to not be a long talker for this answer. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to call myself out on that. We have a business that might be called Thought Leadership, which is a platform. So for those of you that are intrigued by this, it's like we have a platform. It's mostly digital because that's how we communicate these days through this thing called the World Wide Web or the Internet, right? So as part of that platform, I've written books. I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Pivot. It's a book about reinvention. It was a big bestseller. Many people might have read that or heard that or whatever. And most recently, this book called Change Proof, which is a book about resilience, leveraging the power of uncertainty to build long-term resilience. Now, the audience for my pivot book was mostly people, like individuals who are wanting to transform themselves. I was a miserable lawyer who ended up in the hospital thinking I'm having a heart attack and my wife's standing next to me, pale as a ghost. And I'm thinking I'm never going to see our four kids again at that moment, four small children And it turns out to be a panic attack, anxiety attack. Right. Come out of that, not knowing what to do, 
but I figure a few things out. And ultimately I write this book pivot about that. And then I get on stage literally was asked to speak about it. I'm an introvert, not I'm a situational extrovert, I guess, to be really frank, but getting on stage lit me up in a way I just didn't expect. Cause when I stood up in court, cause I was a lawyer, I'm not sure if I mentioned that I was in 18 years in the profession. When I stood up in court, all I ever had was butterflies, nerves. And I always felt like I got to beat that person up before they beat me up. And everybody's deflecting, trying to avoid getting crushed by the judge kind of thing. So I hated that. But when I stood up in front of a group of people that who were looking directly at me and I could see their eyes, it lit me up. And it went from speaking to a few people to literally co-delivering events with Tony Robbins and other people in China and Japan, all over the world for literally 10,000 people at a time. My sweet spot, I love an audience of four or 500 people. So that book Pivot was all about reinvention from miserable lawyer and like anxious, anxiety ridden lawyer to doing something very different in life that helped me to open my heart and really heal my soul and help a lot of people. That was sort of the first step on the path This book about change and resilience is a book about business and it's for business leaders and has some personal development in it because that's just the way we're baked, right? Right. You lead a company, you lead people, you make a product, you serve millions of folks. There's so much of us that's in that thing. So if we're crap on the inside, what we produce is crap on the outside, right? It's like, here's here's the spiritual (laughs) dogma in a minute, right? (laughs) So this book is about how you develop not only the ability to embrace change, no matter what change, but the resilience that you create in the process that enables you to serve people, even in the midst of uncertainty and things that are disruptive to our businesses, to our personal lives. And and that audience, when I speak to that audience, yes, there's personal growth in it, but I speak primarily to business audiences and get paid very well by companies to come in and speak workshop, consult, advise, that kind of thing. So our business as a platform, a thought leadership or idea leadership platform is one where I produce content online, digitally. I produce these you know things, these things we call books that sometimes people buy still, people still <laughs> read, right? And I speak and I speak a ton and I love it. And it's the kind of thing I expect like Dale Carnegie, I will do into well into my 90s. Yeah. And not because I'll need the money. I may want the money because I like money. That's cool. Right. But it's because it'll light me up. I never, ever am in front of an audience, whether it's one person or it's God knows how many people are listening, watching this right now, where I don't feel so in service to higher purpose, to spirit, that it doesn't feel 100% in that moment like this is the only thing I'm supposed to be doing. And I know you know what that feels like. Oh, my God. It's like transcending. You'll get off stage and they'll go, what was that thing you said? I don't know. Like, it's a God thing. I get channeled for sure. Like, I have my shtick and my shtick is good. And then I surrender. And that's a skill, right? And so let's talk about you're a TEDx coach, a TEDx mentor. I'm just going to be candid. Why do we still need to do a TEDx, right? It's so last year, right? (laughs) (laughs) People are like, I don't really need to do that. So why do people need it? I'll let you say, and then I'll say why. I I mean, it's one word. I'll keep this one really short. It's credibility. It's so difficult to do a TED talk. 
when I did my first yes. TED talk, I had spoken, God knows, to hundreds of thousands of people for years and years. But getting on that little red circle just scared the crap out of me, Susie. And 18 minutes, right? Like, I can't even say my name in 18 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so like, funny. What? What? 18 it's minutes? Like off. You're like, whoa. But now, like, so, especially digital, 18 minutes is a long time, right? Yeah. You look at now, but we've transitioned from how we used to do old school speaking to yeah. new school speaking and engagement and adult learning. So talk about really how are you teaching people to leverage that platform and yeah. speaking, right? Because people go, oh, I'm going to be a speaker. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be famous. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which, good. I mean, look, everybody can be their own media brand right now. Yeah. The idea that anybody could have a media brand is not bullshit. That's the truth. We all have the capacity today to create a platform, whereas when I started, that didn't exist in the same way. So it's a funny thing because Ted, while is yesterday and it's not what it was from the standpoint of, oh, I got to do that like it's on my bucket list kind of thing. Although people some still feel that way. People do get the people who matter in terms of who might hire you to speak and pay you to speak pay attention to what you say, they actually care because right. they understand to get a TED is difficult. To deliver one is excruciatingly yes. difficult, right? It just is. I said to Randy, my wife, maybe a week before or two weeks before I was going to stand on this TED stage in Lake Tahoe, I go, I think I killed too many brain cells in college. I think I just don't <laughs> have, I, I'm just being honest with what I said. Yeah. I don't know that I have enough left Right. To actually see this through. Right. I was terrified. And she would do wicked things to me, like at 11 o'clock at night. And I just got in bed and she'd go, get out of bed and do your talk. And I'm like, literally like, F you. Are you right. kidding? Like, no. don't fuck yeah. with me right now. I need my sleep. I work right. all day. Right? Get out of bed and do your talk. Right. So we torture people. <laughs> <laughs> so I get to do that same thing to other people now. And that's a breakthrough. Look, I've been through, oh my God, I just remember taking with a different company. That was the thing I had to be broken down to build back up because I had my shtick. I wasn't in my authentic center. I wasn't being transparent, even though I thought I was because my shtick was good. My we'll only was- surrender to a point, but it takes somebody that knows, knows well, what's ahead, like a mentor, to be able to see past your facade and the pretense to be able to get to presence. That's the way we look at it. And when you are that essence, that's who you are in front of other people. Like you said, you could call it channeling. You could call it being divinely guided. There's a lot of ways to describe what that is. But basically, you strip away the pretense. And what's left is something quite amazing. Quite a bit more amazing as Marianne Williamson said, like, who are we to play small? I think that's what she was getting at, that we don't realize how beautiful we really are because we've learned from childhood. We could go into psychology now, right? But we've learned how to build this facade in order to protect ourselves from the world and people and being hurt. And a lot of us were bullied and a lot of us were teased and a lot of us were told you can't do this or that. And then the provers, I love the provers because the people who prove they can do whatever you tell me, 
I know right. your audience is a lot of professional, a lot of women, a lot of very successful people. So they're probably 90% provers, but proving doesn't ultimately produce happiness often. Right. And that proving as part of it, you create quite a bit of a wall, a, yeah. a way to make sure you're strong to withstand the winds of everything, including change, right? So part of what we do is what you said, which is to break through that, break it down, break through, so that there's something that's behind that, that's more vulnerable, it's more real, it's more transparent, that's so flippant powerful that if, let's say, that person was wanting to enroll someone in what they were passionate about, whether it's the formulation of a supplement that they've created, or it's their right, program right. that they've created, or the coaching that they want to do for other people, they enroll from that place of authenticity. It's very powerful. And I used to train people through a business that I ran for a lot of years that did about a hundred live personal development events a year. And I would train people to sell from stage. And I would say to these folks, because I had learned how to do that, and I don't know how many of them actually bought this when I said it. I mean, I truly believe that it sunk in at the moment. I hope it did. That mm -hmm. there's a grave responsibility to that. Because yeah, yeah. what you can do is almost like become a cult leader in that yes. moment. You can lead people and they will follow you almost anywhere, including to the back of the room with their credit card. There's such a responsibility to not lead them in the wrong place. Right. Maybe that sounds a little trite, but there's a lot of place in the world and in the personal development world where people get led in the wrong direction, I think. So that's just not something I'm into. But to learn how it is that you can communicate at such an effective level, whether it's to raise capital, which we know you're yes. always raising capital for any business that is growing, any business that's going to scale, you're always raising capital because you right. always want capital on good terms. Yes. And so whether it's your series A or B or any other thing that you're doing to grow your business, if you can't articulate effectively your vision, I mean, that's what was most powerful about Steve Jobs. His greatest skill was what he did on stage in front of people, how right. he enrolled people with his vision. Right. He left Steve Wozniak the job of figuring out all the little hows yes. involved, right? So you said something earlier too, I want to just come back to, which is that Ted, for example, it's such a, like a ninja process to get to 18 minutes of yes. pure content because yes. every single word is curated. There is no fluff. There is no ums and ands and right. no's and so's and all those verbal ticks are gone from that thing. And it is a long ass time because when we're helping people in the platform create their demo reels, for example, yeah. movie trailer, demo reel thing, that's like two minutes. It's 200 yeah. words. And so when I see someone's video that's longer than two minutes these days, I'm like, is this Who ever going to end? <laughs> is this ever going to end, right? So to do 18 minutes and captivate a person, grab their attention, hold their attention for 18 minutes. That's Good grief. Great. That well, is not what I reason. love is you distilled this process because I'm old school. We didn't have stuff like this when we were coming up. We just had to figure it out. There was Dale Carnegie, which luckily my first coach was the top trainer for that organization. And he landed in my lap. That was a godsend. And when I think about all the training I did that I had to learn from the training, oh, I'll never do that again. Or the money you left on the table because you didn't know how to enroll. You didn't know how to come from your authenticity. And then I went into like a NLP training, which was great, 
But that was felt more manipulative. Like I was manipulating people to go to the back of the room, which I didn't want to do. Like, I don't want to manipulate. I want people to take action, implement in their business, not just buy a product. Who cares if they just buy a product from you? We haven't done our work. That's my belief. I know that's your belief is we want to transform people into being responsible citizens to make the world a better place, to make our families a better place, to have more wealth, to create this synergy. That's a bigger vision than I just want to sell some shit. Who cares? Right. Right? Yeah. I want to give you people the three pieces that without the practice and stuff like that, it might be meaningless. I'll just say that out loud because it could be true. But for those that have been practicing a little while, who have been speaking a little while, maybe who haven't gotten great results even or mediocre results, this might mean something. So I'm going to quickly say it. So I would and teach how to toggle through three simple things when you're doing an enrollment. This is what is baked through a script that you create to start to practice anything, whether it's that you're giving a keynote talk, but in specific to enroll someone. And that is that you have to start with enthusiasm and theos. You have to tap into spirit. You have to tap into something that's in the ethers that people can feel. And you could use the word enthusiasm. That's the word I'm going to say. You could call it energy, but you have to have enthusiasm followed by heart. Mm-hmm. People have to understand why this matters to you. And so often it is that people can't engage their own heart, especially when they're on stage or in front of people virtually or what have you, because in part they're nervous or in part, again, that facade is there. They protect their heart. So they're not going to reveal themselves. So it's enthusiasm and heart and then adamance. I like it because it's got my name embedded in it. <laughs> and adamance is like, I have the capacity to get animated, get intense, as my dad used to say when I was a kid, intense, intensity. And yeah. even like we might say in your face just a little bit, right? But I mean, it's like your version of truth telling. Yeah. Like let's unvarnished. I love that about you, Susie. You have that capacity to do these three things and you move through it. So if let's say I'm having an enrollment conversation for 10 minutes, I am toggling through enthusiasm, heart, adamance, and then circling, going right back to right. enthusiasm, heart, adamance like over and over and over again in a 10 minute enrollment or a five minute enrollment, I'm going to go through that cycle three times easily. Okay. But what I love, like I'm getting chills because this is system strategy. It's not like you have to be the it factor. Yes. The it factor is practicing and honing your craft, practicing that enthusiasm, that spirit, that heart, that transparency, that adamant. That's a system versus, okay, just get up and keep doing it and doing and doing, but what am I not doing? How do I tweak it? I think that's the power that you bring. Tom Landry, I love this quote. He said, a coach will tell you what you don't want to hear. A coach will show you what you don't want to see. So you could be the person you knew that you could be. And I love the way you teach because it's not about you. You're not putting people on stage to torture them. It is torturous when you get that kind of intense coaching, but that's what we need. And especially if you've been speaking for a while, you have all these bad habits. 18 minutes is a lot of time, but not a lot of time. When you're a seasoned speaker and you've been speaking for years without this kind of structure and breakdown, you can ramble and we've all seen them, right? It's like, get to the point already. So we can get you to the point already, which I love, 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 love. You cannot hide, which, you know. Right? Again, which is why it's scary, which is why people don't do it. And it's why other people respect those who do. And that's why I said credibility is the reason you do these things. 
because if right. you it's like saying, a book, you don't have to have a book, right. but you have to have a book, right? It's but you have to have a book, right? Yeah. And if you're going to have a book, like my feeling is why not have like, have a good book, have a great book, you know, like right, amazing book, a best-selling book. This one came out last year. It's the I Love My Life Challenge. This is based on my TED Talk. So this is a book that's based on the TED Talk that has a workbook as well and sounds true as the publisher there. This was the relaunch of Pivot that Simon Schuster just did again about six months ago. I held up Change Proof earlier. I've got this one, Soul Over Matter, which is more of a spiritual book. My dad's a fiction writer. He's an author. I consider yeah. him to be talented. I'm a nonfiction author. So I'm not being um, self deprecating here when I say yeah. I don't consider myself a talented artist in writing like a creative writer, but I can write. I know how to write and then know how to write well. And it's not easy. It's difficult. So it's like you said, you don't have to have a book, but you have to have a book. And if you're going to have a book, have a great book, like yeah. have a book that like Marshall Goldsmith says, build resiliency in yourself, your relationships and your business, a must read. Marshall Goldsmith. That's not canned. That's a yeah. real endorsement from our top business leader. You go, write a good book. Now, I'll say this. Somebody that goes, I want to write a book. You don't have to write a book by yourself either. There's tons of people that can help you to write a book. I don't mean just ghostwriters. I mean, developmental editors, people. I was in the, I guess you could call it, we used to call it the rat race, right? I was a workaholic attorney, 90 hours, 100 hours a week, which sucked only, it didn't suck because like the money didn't suck. What sucked was that I was missing my kids' childhoods. Right. And I went through a point in my life when I ended up in that hospital where inside was screaming at me, you'll never get this time back. Yes. It was screaming at me, you're an idiot because you're trading one thing for something else and you're not fully conscious of the trade that you're making, the deal, you're making a bad deal right now. And I just literally gave myself chills because that's the truth of it. I've more than replaced my income. I made a shit ton of money as a lawyer. We do very well now, thank goodness, but it's different. So part of the personal development lie, I mean, and there's some really great stuff. My life was transformed in a personal development room, just to be clear, when I didn't know what to do, that's what helped me. But one of the little lies that's kind of insidious is that you have to have purpose and passion and your life's calling And why you were born has to be baked into your job, into your work. That's bullshit. And I'll say, I don't care if anybody agrees with it. I'm just going to say you can have a great living and a great job that satisfies parts of your life that isn't your purpose for living. Yes. That's okay. So I'm not the one to tell you if you don't get tremendous purpose or whatever fulfillment even out of your work. If you're doing ethical work, if like the work is helping in the world, you're getting paid fairly, keep your day job and work on your platform to do other things. If it's the kind of stuff we're talking about, work on that in your spare time, like literally create that as your plan B, which is what I did. I did not quit my job with four kids, two houses, dogs, cats, gerbils, (laughs) I didn't quit my day job to go chase after being a public speaker or a transformational leader. It's two and a half years of moving the needle on that other thing before I dared to close down my legal practice. Yes. So I just want people to get the real. Yeah. Barbara D'Angelo says sometimes your life's work isn't your J-O-B. 
It's like, what's your life's work? Like you had a job which provided for your family, but it wasn't your life's work. There was something in you that there's got to be something else. I'm missing my children. I'm missing my wife. I'm missing these experiences, which is beautiful. I've always been that advocate of like, life is too short. I remember who wrote that book, but do what you love and the money will come. Do what you love, be in that experience. And then you're never working. I know people say that as a shtick, but it's really true. Back in the day when I was young and we were working at Kentucky Fried Chicken, that was a job. <laughs> right. I mean, versus now it's like, oh my God, I get to talk to Adam today. I was so excited. Like, what time is Adam? Got right? up so early this morning. I showered. I shaved my head for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I put for eyelashes on for you. <laughs> for the same reason, lovely. Because we knew we were going to enjoy our time doing what we're doing right now. Exactly. And let's and talk about the resiliency in the economy because so many people yes. with, and it's still so uncertain, right? We were talking about our book launches. Mine launched right when COVID hit. You launched during COVID, in COVID. And so let's talk about how your business and your relationship, because we all had to pivot, which that was the beautiful thing. We all had to reset our businesses. And some people have reset and we're doing great. Some people have reset and they're not doing great. So how's your business really thrived in this time? And what are some either tools or tactics you can give us to help us thrive versus suffer? Suffer. No, not the survival thing. Let's not. (laughs) No one wants to suffer. Oh, my God. Suffering is optional. Struggle is optional. When we used to do the firewalks and the arrow breaks and the board breaks, sometimes I would see somebody that was really, really just, oh, they weren't not only not breaking the board, but they were like tearing up their hand, trying to. Right. And sometimes all they needed to hear was I'd walk over, come behind them, whisper in their ear. Boom. Struggle is optional. Right. And there was a moment where often the case was they took a deep breath and said, so I'm creating this right now. I'm creating my struggle. I would sometimes say to somebody, is that the only way you can break this board? Like by destroying your palm of your hand. Right. And then they look at me and take the fucking board and bang it over their knee where they (laughs) stomped on it on the floor and broke it in half. I'm like, since when did anybody tell you that there's only one way to succeed at this thing? And that's applicable in every area of your life. So, yeah, we are more than anything. It is essential that we are resilient to address uncertainty. We have to embrace every potential reality. Every future possibility has to be okay. Yes. We have to be able to utilize, to have confidence, trust, really, that we could utilize anything that might happen tomorrow for the benefit of people around us, for the world, for our families, for ourselves, all of that. And that to me is what resilience is. It's this capacity to always gain strength out of experience, whatever that experience might be. So we've done an assessment. We created a proprietary tool some years ago for organizations that we call our resilient leader assessment. We've literally conducted more than 4,000 now resilient leader assessments, these mini case studies. It takes about three minutes. We can give your folks the URL as well to take it. It's for free. But what's great about it is that it will tell people, it always tells us how resilient we are mentally, because so often it is that our struggle 
that we are dealing with is in between our ears. We just don't, and we don't know any better because it's the way we've been handling life's challenges since we're little kids. It's what we saw our mom or our dad or our grandparents. We saw them handle things in this way. My mother used to do this thing where she would count to 10 and my mom's still alive, 87 and doing well. I haven't seen her do this in a lot of years, by the way. So sorry, mom. You don't have to count to 10 anymore. She would <laughs> you literally have been trained. <laughs> she'd go one, two, three. Like she wouldn't do it to herself. She'd go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, with her teeth gritted. So like she's calming herself down, but everybody else around her is like freaking out, <laughs> freaking out because we expect the dam to break. Right. Right. So that was her way of resolving or just dealing with a moment. So our mental resilience, we have to assess our emotional resilience. So important. What is triggering us? What still triggers us from the past? What still gets us to a place where we are reactive instead of responsive, where we can get move into anger so quickly? Mm -hmm. Like I was interviewed by psychology today right after the Will Smith thing. And I couldn't believe it. Like they come to me as a resilience expert researcher to share some thoughts about Will Smith. I'm like, wow, (laughs) here's what I thought when I saw this. He snapped. Yes, we all saw him snap in front of the entire world, saw him snap. I said, he's depleted. So our research on resilience with more than 4,000 leaders is that when we are depleted, exhausted, burned out or near burned out, we don't make good decisions. We make really bad decisions and we do them quickly. Every bad decision I've made, I made some really bad ones in my life, always started out as a great idea. Right. I'm sure when Will Smith got up, the great idea in the moment was my wife, who I love, who's being hurt right now, who's being attacked right now, I am not standing for The way he didn't or couldn't stand up as a child to protect his mom. Right. Instead, he was going to protect his wife. Right. And in that moment, that snap decision, because he was depleted, he couldn't do the things that in the book I talk about, which is to pause, ask, and choose. Mm -hmm. That when we can pause, ask, and choose, our decisions in life are different, man. They're just different. So emotionally, he just snapped. His resilience was low physically. And so across these 4,000 leaders, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual resilience that we assess, the physical quadrant is usually read across the board. Like you took this test. And when you took the assessment, Susie, your score was an 80. I said to you, it's almost the highest score I've ever seen because average across any industry you can think of, we've tested with people all over the globe, fortune 50 companies, the most successful companies in the world to brand new startup companies. The score is a 64 average, average 64. That's crazy. So well, you know, what's funny cool. is I was beating myself on my only 80. Should I tell? <laughs> and it was 80. I don't, oh, am I a loser? Am I a slacker? Like my mind chatter. And then today you're like, oh, no, that's one of the best scores. I'm like, really? Oh, okay. Like just <laughs> knowledge and, is key, right? And there's room for improvement there. And the improvement is usually in these areas that we're ignoring. And so to just sort of, Take 300 pages of a book, for example, and distill it down to a single through line, which is, by the way, what we do when we prepare people for TED or other speaking. It's like, what's that through line? What's that main idea? Right. Resilience is baked out of rituals for recovery. That's the whole nine yards. Right. That people think resilience is how we endure. 
That's the sufferers of the world. That's the person struggling to break the board. I just have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it until I'm yeah. bloodied, right? It's not about endurance. Right. It's about recovery, meaning that we have to learn how to ritualize the times during the day when we are consciously choosing to recover mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, because that's what develops resilience in the moment and as we go forward. And when you know that you can recapture your energy, because any problem that we're going to deal with, again, any eventuality, any future scenario is fine if you know that you have the energy to outperform it. Right, Susie? Right. You so know how I'm to outperform problems. That's why you help other people <laughs> in the way that you do. I think the blessing, like in doing that, like I'm putting the dots together because we spoke months ago and I took July off because I looked at this assessment and I've been really assessing like, you know, we've been charging hard. I've been charging hard my whole life. And they go, I'm tired. I don't want to. And when you don't want to, that's that burnout. That's that exhaustion. That's that snap. And so I love that you broke it down. Pause. So I paused and said, what do I need so that I'm not depleted? I'm not cranky. I'm not bitchy, like whatever you want to call it. I was bitchy. And the act was reschedule July. And Sam was like, what? I'm like, reschedule July. I need to fill my cup. I need to take care of me. And that was the act. And then choosing, what do I do in that time? I didn't want to be busy being busy being busy and fill it with other things. And so, like you said, it was a short assessment, but very powerful in reflecting to go, my mental state was one of the lowest ones because I was just digging. I'm digging, 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 producing, I'm loving it, but exhausted and I'm not wanting to snap. So it's in the show notes. We're going to give you the assessment to assess. I think that's the power when you work with leaders like Adam and I is stop and look at what's working, what's not working. I think that's how my business has always grown. What's working, what's not working, what's working, what's not working. And not from a place of make wrong, but a place of, is it serving me? Is it serving my family? Is it serving my community? If I'm not serving me, I can't serve my community, right? If you're just fried, tired, burnt out, and it becomes all about money, it's not fun anymore. And you're not living that purpose-filled life, which is the goal. What is that goal? That is the goal for all of us, I believe. Yeah. What would you say when you look at your life, right? So you gave us those three, the pause, the act, the choose. How do you really determine what area you need to focus on in order to stay resilient? Well, it's that middle one. The ask is so powerful because we don't, a lot of times, ask questions. I go back to the Will Smith thing, which... It's just for a second. If he'd have paused to take a breath, take a beat and asked his, himself, what are my options right now? There's a question. Right. Is the best option to get on stage and punch Chris Rock in the face? Right. Is that my best option? Like he would never in a million years have chosen what he chose if he'd have right. just stopped long enough to ask a question or two. Right. And there's all this programming of our lives, why people don't ask questions or they don't ask the big questions. They stop asking questions they don't know the answers to because they don't want to be vulnerable. We are taught that when we ask questions that we're supposed to know the answers to, people judge us. A really good coach will have you question everything that you're doing to go, is that what I want? Right. 
So let's pivot just a little bit. Beautiful. And this is Power So, by the way, I'm so happy just the way our conversation has unfolded because we're covering a lot of territory. (laughs) But it is delicious just because I think there's a lot of real life stuff that we're touching on. Yeah. So that's exciting for me. And thank you. So let's talk about some other real life stuff. So I want to talk about wealth strategies because I always said, I wish I could just have my badass friends and we could be a fly on a wall to go, what did you do to build your wealth? You had this vocation and said, I don't want to do that anymore. And so let's talk about your top wealth strategies that you do for yourself and your family that have put you in the position that you're in now, because that's all strategy, right? It didn't just happen. No one gave you sprinkle fairy dust. You didn't have the silver spoon or gold spoon or whatever spoon somebody gave somebody. (laughs) We didn't have those spoons. Didn't have that spoon. (laughs) Grew up in this little <laughs> suburb of New York City called Queens. You might have heard of it. Yes. <laughs> little tiny place, little apartment, shared a room with my brother the size of a closet. So I didn't have a spoon of any kind like that. Although I always had food. <laughs> my parents definitely fed me well. And they fed my spirit in a lot of ways, which we don't have to get into. But financial literacy was not a thing I heard or learned at home. I know I'm not alone with that. Like across the board, I don't know what the percentage is. My guess, a wild ass guess, I'd say 98% of the world's population has learned nothing about financial literacy or wealth creation when they were growing up. So it's like, when do you learn it? And what is it? I mean, let's get into a couple of things because we could touch a few meaningful ones. There's a bazillion of them, but there's a few that are more like what we've used that we can chat about for sure. So share with us what's been your strategy? Because we're seasoned. If you're just listening to this, uh, I'm seasoned. <laughs> we're a little seasoned. Little season. So we've had some time to do some failures and do some winning strategies and learn this thing because nobody taught us. We had to go find the information and surround ourselves. One of the things that I've done is surround myself with people who are willing to talk about money and strategy and failures and this worked, this didn't work so that I feel educated and I'm not alone in this journey of building my own wealth. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I have an idea. There's a book that's coming after Change Proof that's I'm going to start working on in the fall. And then there's a book that I've been thinking about that I've been putting off, which is a book about money. And yeah. I want to stay on brand. So again, in full transparency, I used to teach a lot about financial literacy, but my brand changed quite a bit. So I'm going to probably do that book from the standpoint of like your resilience bank account, which is a chapter in this book, because yeah. analogize the idea of resilience as being you make deposits. And if you make more deposits and you make withdrawals, you're in surplus, you're in the yes. black. It's just like a balance sheet. But if you make more withdrawals than you do deposits, then you're in deficit. Will Smith was in deficit. We understand what it's like when we're in deficit. So when it comes to wealth creation, my wife likes to say slow and steady wins the race. This is a cliche, but I'm going to say it because it is absolutely true. If I'm speaking to my 20 something year old kids, this is what I'm saying to them. Start now. Start where you are. Start with any amount of money. Buy a single share of a single stock that you like, that you would hold for 10 years because you like them, whatever it's Apple or whoever it might be. Just start and slow and steady wins the race. I'm not going to say the sort of Susie Orman or other conventional things like make sure you invest so 10% every month, la da da. I mean, you should do those things for sure. I'm searching in my mind for just a couple of the things that maybe are outside the box. Like, so for example, a lot of people, they're seeing inflation, they're upset about inflation. 
We all are. I don't like paying $6 a gallon for gas in California right. or seven. And I drive a fancy German sports car, which I right. got to put super in. So I hate that. <laughs> Not the car, but the gas price. And I actually, gosh, I tweeted this at some of the Democrats in power to say, listen, why can't your messaging meet us where we are? If you're worried about the average American that has like less than $5,000 in savings or something, you know, like if that's who you're talking to who's being crushed by inflation, then why not show us how to earn a guaranteed 9%? You heard me, right? A guaranteed 9% on our money to offset how we're getting crushed in these other areas. Right. I tweeted at them. I'm like, this is called an I bond. It's government guaranteed. You can only invest only up to $10,000 per person per year, but they're paying somewhere between eight and 10% right now because it's tied to the cost of living it tied to inflation as is reported. She go, are you telling me that I could earn 9% on my money instead of like 0.9 tenths of a percent in the bank? Right. Yes. Well, why isn't the government telling us about that? Why aren't people talking about it? Like that's smart money. The book I want to write about is about being resilient with your money and doing smart things that anybody can do. You don't have to be like Elon Musk to be smart with your money. Right. So that's an example. Like do that. Look up iBond. Go Google that right now. And if you've got up to ten thousand dollars, you've got a thousand. You go, oh, I don't have ten thousand. Well, put a thousand dollars and earn nine percent of your right. money. Let's right. Let's do something. Do something. Right. Awesome. And so now, looking back, because we're seasoned, what would you do differently in building your wealth? Okay, greed is a rough one for all of us. I think maybe I'll just say for me, I've had trouble with that. I will say this: that at a certain point. In my life, I just couldn't resist being so money focused that I was willing to ignore the writing on the wall. So to invest in things that don't make sense. And you know what? I get it that we don't always know it doesn't make sense at the moment. I get that. Right. But I was a lawyer, for example, and I invested in some real estate with a lot of money where I didn't do the due diligence because I trusted this person that I was partnered with. That was just flat out dumb. Yeah. It was unwise. And we do things like that because money triggers emotion in us. It's our personal worth. Our self-worth is tied up in our net worth a lot of times. Our confidence in ourselves has a lot to do with the clothes we wear. That's a product of how much money we have or don't have. There's a lot of stuff that's emotion that's tied up in our bank accounts. So when that's the case, I find that I've made poor decisions in my younger self because there was emotion in those decisions. And that's a mistake that we, I think, can make easily. Yeah, I think it's important to realize that if you're not willing to lose it, don't do it. I think that's one of my biggest, we invested heavily in real estate. And so when the market flipped, I flipped and to go, oh, if you can't afford to lose it, don't do it. And so that shifted are the way that I invest, still invest in real estate. As soon as I got back up on my feet and had a chunk of money, went back into real estate, but knowing differently to go, oh, okay, I could accumulate. And the ROI, we're doing 12% a year, which is crazy amazing. You can't get that in any other platform that I'm doing. And to go there, well, strategy is not one thing. It's all the things. You as your business, right? This I bond, if you have a 401k, real estate, like 
Be creative and talk to people so that you're building your wealth plan, not somebody else's. I think what you just said is the same thing I did. That was somebody else's wealth plan. I just agreed. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, let's invest in that. Oh, okay. Let's invest in that versus is that my comfort zone? Or I'm just, like you said, greed. I didn't think about it as greed, but when you say it, it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. I mean, like Warren Buffett said, when people are greedy, you should be fearful. When people are fearful, you should be greedy. I mean, there's just a lot of emotion in the investing space. So this is not guaranteed. And we know I'm not giving financial advice here, yes, like, right. disclaimer or whatever, but Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So yeah. Marcus by Goldman Sachs is a digital bank, online banking. We've been earning like 2% on our money. We were right. earning 2% at the start of the pandemic or something like that. I mean, or a point and a half or a point when people were earning a 10th of a percent in the bank. So no money, right? We know that inflation is usually ticking along at three, four, five, 6% on average, right? Excluding times like we're living in now. So to have your money in a bank that's not paying interest is like you're losing, right. money is losing value. So Marcus, while not a full dollar for dollar kind of a thing. I'd rather earn 2% in that and their FDIC insured. So up to 250K, I think it is. FDIC insures that deposit. Have money there. Right. The idea is that you have to be disciplined. And discipline, again, is a difficult thing for a lot of folks. But if you simply say, look, here's my pie. This is the pie I've got that's my disposable income every month. That's one pie. Here's the pie that is my savings or whatever you want to call it, my investment tranche of money. And then you simply take a look at those pies and allocate in a, what is, I think, an intuitive way to get guaranteed interest where you can get guaranteed interest, where you can get insured interest on something where the principal is insured in some way, then you do those things. And then when you have a long enough time horizon, so when it comes to real estate, which I've been very experienced in real estate, as well as in stocks, just like you, I'll give a sort of a truism, which is as long as your time horizon is long enough, you can almost never go wrong. If the company doesn't go bankrupt, if the land doesn't disappear, there's a lot of ways for that, for those things to go sideways. But rarely will you see someone who bought a house that held the house, paid their taxes and just kept it in good shape. They don't lose money on that house 20 years later. Somebody who bought a quality company, GE, call it whatever company, Apple, 20 years later has done phenomenally well, 200, 300% appreciation on their investment if their time horizon was 20 years. Right. So as long as you're not investing with money that you're going to think maybe three years from now, you need to retire or three years from now, you need it to pay for some event in your life, then you're good. The market is crazy right now. But if you think five years from now where the market will be, you wouldn't be losing any sleep over it at this moment. Right. Exactly. Well, Adam, I love, love, love. I could talk all day long. You just a wealth of knowledge. And I want to let you know that the resiliency quiz, you can take it in the show notes. So you want to make sure that you download that. It's very insightful. And then there's a ton of tools that come with it. So you want to save that use it as one of the foundational pieces. It's a critical step towards helping you ensure your development to get that resiliency. And if you're an expert and you want to leverage the platform called Speaking, definitely check out our TED Talk training. 
we are, I'm saying we, it's we, now it's we. It's we. <laughs> Adam is a master at doing this. I appreciate you. Any closing? We should do it together though, Susie, for yes. real. Yes. Only because it's mentorship. And so when we brought in plenty of people that we've just respect their ability to communicate from that platform and had them come in and be guest mentors. But I think there's more there for us to play with because you've been doing this like I have been a while and you understand that all important responsibility of teaching somebody something that they don't use for the wrong purpose, right? Yeah. To help them to grow their business and help more people. I'm down for that. We're down for that. So if you love this episode, you know somebody that needs this information, needs to hear Adam, needs to have him in their back pocket, please share with your friends, share on your social media, follow Adam Markell. You can find him on all social platforms. It's all in the show notes. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for who you are in the world. And thank you for spreading your love and magic. And I value you and appreciate you. And thank you for your generosity and knowledge and time and expertise. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Power Your Profits podcast. Let these building blocks from today's most successful industry leaders equip you with the necessary resources and tools to finally establish the highly profitable business of your dreams. Want to hear more? Listen to more episodes at https colon double slash poweryourprofitspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. Now is your time to rise to the top of your game. So be sure to catch our next episode. Until next time.